All right, we are we're moving on with the third part of our Holy Spirit series tonight. It is the Holy Spirit in the epistles. Um, this is this is uh, so far. Um, we've gone through a lot of verses. I, I looked up, and about half the verses on the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures we have covered in the first two weeks. So I told you he was a whole lot more active in the New Testament, a whole lot more scripture in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit than the Old Testament. Well, most of it's in the epistles. Um, don't worry, we're not going to go through every single verse because there are some themes. Um, but we are going, what I've decided to do um, for tonight was kind of, as I look through them and um, figuring out what kinds of things the Holy Spirit does, I saw a couple of major categories. And so we're going to kind of break them up by category, and we're going to look at some. Some of these are one verse here or there. Um, some of them, it's almost a passing comment in in what the author is trying to say. But we catch that little glimpse in, in that, that one phrase or that one part of a verse that helps us understand a little bit more about what the Holy Spirit does. Other things... The Holy Spirit is really the main topic that he's writing about at that point. And so we'll have several verses together. One of those passages, if you want to turn somewhere in your Bibles, is in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, uh, if you want to turn there. But we will be in lots of different scriptures, um, so so don't get too comfortable in any one passage. Thank you, I don't need that though. Appreciate it. One of the things that I noticed um, in studying the Holy Spirit you kind of see a little bit of what he does in the Old Testament to a certain extent. Then when you get into the New Testament in the Gospels with the life of Christ especially, and even in the days of the early church, you see um, a lot more activity. He doesn't do anything different, but he does it to much greater scale. It's, it's almost as though um, in the Old Testament you get glimpses of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, you get a lot of the Holy Spirit doing the same things. And so you see him much more actively involved. But here in the epistles, we find out a very important truth. And that is that the Holy Spirit functions as God's active presence in the life of his believers. It is God's active presence. It's not a passive presence. The Holy Spirit is not just some ghost floating around, not really doing anything. Maybe haunt a few people here and there, and that no, that's not the picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in intricate detail in people's lives, and we're going to look at a couple of ways of how he does that. One of the first ways that I noticed was that he's there from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit produces faith. Look in Romans chapter eight. Paul is talking about living life in the Spirit as contrasted to living life in the flesh. Now, if you'll remember in Romans 7, Paul is laying out the fleshly dilemma that he has. He wants to live for God. He wants to do the things for God that, that God wants him to do. And he wants to follow through and be obedient. And he says, oh, I want to do this, but I can't. There's this war going on within me and, and my members are fighting against my, I'm fighting against myself. The things that I want to do, I can't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he realizes, he, he brings you to the point to where you start to wonder, is there any hope? And then he says, there's now therefore no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. And he starts talking about walking in the spirit. 
In verse 10, he picks up, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, dwe- from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you have put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see the point of the spirit in this, realm, in this, in, in this discussion? He's saying there's two ways to live. You can live in the flesh. You can live in the spirit. You're living in the flesh. You're really not living. You're really dead. But if you're living in the spirit, then you're truly alive. You see, the Holy Spirit is what produces life within us. It produces the faith that begins our walk. Um, one, one person put it this way. God puts his spirit on you, enables you to respond. Dead people don't respond. We need God to bring us alive enough that we can actually give response to him. Otherwise, dry bones in a valley. When the breath comes, when the wind comes, when the Spirit comes, all the same word in Hebrew, by the way, that's when life comes. The Holy Spirit produces this life in us. He's the one that quickens us. He's the one that makes us alive. He is the one who brings us to faith, starting by bringing faith into us, making us alive, giving us the strength and the ability to continue in faith to be righteous before him. He produces faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. He tells them, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now the reason I put this under the Holy Spirit producing faith is because before you can really have faith in God, you've got to have some sort of knowledge of who you're putting faith in. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit knows God. And then pick up in verse 12, He shares that knowledge with us. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to realization of who God is and what he's done for us. Without the spirit, we don't even know God. We don't know anything about him. Now, we should. Remember, Paul talks about in Romans how God has made his invisible attributes known through the things that he has made. God takes the world, fashions it kind of like himself so that we can get a sense of who he is. Do we get a perfect glimpse? No. No, we don't get it perfectly. But that's not the point. The point is to give us enough that we can start to know and pursue him. And it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and reveals to us who God is and what he does. Verse 13, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So not only does the Holy Spirit help us to know God, the Holy Spirit helps us to proclaim God by making God known through our words to the people that we're talking to. 
He's all over the process. He's the one that's producing the faith from the start. He's the one who's producing the faith all the way through the end. He's the one that is the one by which we know God. He is the one by which we proclaim God and make him known to others. All of it requires the Holy Spirit. You can't just say, well, I want the Spirit's power to do these great things over here, but not have the Spirit's reign in this part over here. Some people will say they want the gifts of the Spirit, but they don't want the responsibilities of the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. You see, God's Holy Spirit is the one producing the faith in us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul again, and because you are sons, talking about the fact that we are sons of Abraham, and by extension, sons of God because of our faith. Not because of our works, not because we keep the law, not because we do great things, but because of our faith in Christ. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's the one that produces the faith in us, produces the life in us in which we live. Colossians 1.8. This is one of those throwaway phrases. Uh, that teaches us about the Spirit, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He's talking about a fellow worker of his named Epaphras. Epaphras has faithfully preached the gospel in Colossae. And he's saying that it's because of his testimony that he has made known to us, to Paul, your love in the Spirit. You might not think, well, what does that have to do with the Spirit? Well, where does the love come from? The Spirit. He's the one that produces it in us. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is God's gift after we're saved. The Holy Spirit's involved in the whole process. All the way from the time that we know nothing about God until the point where we surrender to Him and even through that as we live our lives beyond. Titus, Paul writing to a fellow pastor, a younger pastor, says, but when he's talking about life before, the before and after picture, you know, you know, you ever see the before and after where the before looks terrible and the after looks great? This is what God does in us. He makes the terrible into the great by the work of his spirit. Watch this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He's involved right at that process. He's the one washing us. He's the one regenerating us. He's the one bringing us to life. He's the one renewing us, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see that from start to finish. He's involved in the whole process, producing faith all along the way. Anybody ever, any, anybody gotten past faith? They finally graduated beyond faith. Like you, you mastered faith. Now it's time for the next thing. Yeah, no, neither have I. We never get past our need for faith. And so the Spirit is constantly producing it in us. And part of what happens as he's doing that is that he empowers believers. So not only does he produce faith, he empowers us as believers. First Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? 
and that God's spirit dwells in you? He says it again in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, so glorify God with your body. He's talking about, he's talking about the, the sexual sins here, but it's a general truth. Boys, y'all need to stop. It is a general truth. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should honor God with our bodies and with our minds and with our hearts and with our mouths and with our feet and with all the rest of us too, shouldn't we? Love God with everything. Love Him with all your heart. Love Him with all your soul. Love Him with all your mind. Love Him with all your strength. In other words, love Him with everything. Love Him with everything else. And if there's anything left over, love Him with that too. We are the temple. This isn't the temple, y'all. These, this building right here, this is not the temple. It's the sanctuary, but it's not the temple. This isn't where God lives. We call it God's house sometimes. That's because it belongs to him. Of course, everything belongs to him. But still, this place in particular belongs to him in a special way. But this isn't where God lives. No, right here, right in you. That's where God lives. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if God's Spirit's living in us, he ought to be having an impact on us, right? I mean, you don't move into a house, not not buying the house. You rent the house, you don't care. You don't fix anything, right? That's just wasting money. But when you buy the house, you fix it up. You keep things working around. You do what you need to do, right? That's what he does. And boy, does he have a lot of work to do in, in me, at, at least. I, I can't speak for you, but I know in me, he's got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of home improvement that he needs to do in me. Romans chapter 8, we mentioned it before. Look back at verse 1. There is now, therefore, now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. This is right on the hills of feeling like he's come to the end of his rope, like there's no hope for him whatsoever from escaping the condemnation that sin brings on him. He can't do it in and of himself, but he's in Christ Jesus, so he has no condemnation. But watch verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, we think of the law of sin. We don't often think of the law of the spirit. And how does the law set you free? Few people know this. The U.S. Constitution does not provide the state power, the states. So Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, etc. Doesn't provide the state's power. What it does is it provides the federal government power and says, these are your boundaries. You don't go any further than this. Everything else is left to the states. In other words, in other words, when they crafted the Constitution, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to pull aside certain specific authority for the federal government, but only that authority. Now, we probably need to revisit the Constitution and get the government back in line. But the fact is, the Constitution does not give states' rights or individual rights. It protects the rights we already have by preventing the government from usurping them. The law of the Spirit works kind of the same way. What it does is it keeps sin, keeps death from mastering over us. It may get the body. I mean, we're all sinners. And we all die because of it. But it sets a point where it says... No, I have control. I'm in charge of this one. 
you have no authority here. This is your limit. This is where you're going to stay. The law of the Spirit sets us free from the chains of sin and death. Keep going. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, was God's law bad? No. No, but it was weakened by the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God empowers us through his Holy Spirit living within us to live the kind of life that he wants us to live. He enables us to live a righteous sort of life. We can do it otherwise. We wouldn't be able to. We wouldn't be able to walk with God day by day without the Holy Spirit. He enables that. He gives us that. First Corinthians chapter 12. This is another one of those bigger passages where he really focuses on the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts. Now we move into spiritual gifts. Not only does the Holy Spirit allow us to be righteous and, and, and teach us how to be righteous and lead us in the way of righteousness. But he's also going to give us gifts. This isn't like Christmas gifts that you get something that you don't really want and look to return it. These are gifts from God that he gives us specifically for his will. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Did you catch the Trinity there? Lots of gifts, same spirit. Lots of service, same Lord, lots of activities, same God. This is what amazes me about God so much. We were talking just very briefly out at the back door, um, a couple of us this morning, and thinking about what it would be like in heaven and recognizing the fact that God created such diversity that there surely will be a great diversity among us in heaven. But I think we all kind of agreed that that it won't really matter what we look like. I can't picture God just rubber stamping everybody. That's just not who he is. And so he might be one God, one Lord, one spirit, but yet gives us multitude of gifts, myriad of ways that we can serve him. He's smart enough to know everybody needs to be different. As wonderful as some of you are, I'm glad there's only one of you because if there were a bunch of you, it just wouldn't be so wonderful. Aren't y'all glad there's not 50 of me preaching every Sunday? You have to send some of your extras to, to come listen and, and rotate them out or something. God, God enables us, empowers us for the work that he wants us to do. And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for all of us. But each of us have different manifestations. Each of us have different gifts, but they're all good. I'm not going to get into the details of all the gifts, but I want you to see that all these myriad of gifts are coming from this one spirit. It's this one spirit, God's spirit, that makes it work. And it doesn't matter whether your gift happens to be something that's service-oriented or, or preaching-oriented or whether it's cooking-oriented. Some of y'all are definitely gifted in cooking. But it, it doesn't matter where your gifts in particular lie. What matters is it's the same spirit that's given us all these gifts. So much so that we all belong together. For to one is given through the spirit of uh, w the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, 
And to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God gives all these different gifts, but they all come from the same source. A little bit later, in fact, skip a verse, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Not only does he empower us, he brings us together in unity. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. To Timothy, Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You want to know how you're going to speak God's truth clearly, rightly, you want to know how you can guard the good deposit, not fall into the traps, not, not get into the mess that we so often get ourselves into, not make the bad choices that ruin your testimony. You want to know how you're going to live the life guarding the good deposit given to you? It's by the Spirit, by the Spirit living in you. First Peter, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, even if you're being mistreated, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's nothing but a thing if people harass you. Doesn't matter at all if people are persecuting you. You're blessed because God's spirit's on you. By the way, that might be part of the reason why you're being persecuted. Because when God's spirit is on you, boy, you really, you really start to show a difference from others around you. And some folks, some folks just can't take it. They know they are disobedient to God and they see you walking in his ways that's probably part of the reason you you would be persecuted so cheer up it means you're doing something right second Peter 1 and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed remember I said this morning that the Old Testament prophets 97 percent of the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled already yeah this this is what he's talking about all you've got to do is look back at what the prophets have said and that it came true They said this city is going to fall, and that city fell. They said this person will do this great work, and it happened. They said God will provide in this particular battle, and God provided. Time after time after time, we see the word of God fulfilled, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, not just because the Old Testament prophet said some stuff that came true, but because they've seen in Christ the fulfillment of the law. Even even the law that nobody can fulfill, Christ comes and fulfills. And this is a guy that was walking on the water with that Christ. This is a guy who couldn't get his facts straight when Jesus was arrested and was denying him three times, now saying, you know, I've lived long enough to know that prophetic word is completely and fully confirmed. I don't have to doubt it. And I sure ain't going to die again. To which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. He's talking about genuine prophecy. There's plenty of false prophets that come up with all sorts of gobbledygook. But true prophecy doesn't come from men. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These prophetic words that we can read in our scripture, 
His laws that we see fulfilled in Christ, well, that, that was all spoken by God through people, fulfilled by God in human flesh, and now we have the opportunity to fulfill it as well, all by the Holy Spirit. Lastly, the Holy Spirit exalts Christ. What else can he do? I mean, Jesus said this is what he was going to do, and that's exactly what he does. Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. It's, it's so quick you might miss it. Who worship by the Spirit of God. Now, how do you worship by the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's the one enabling you to worship. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? And she said, should we worship God on this mountain or on that mountain? And he says, you've got it all wrong. It's not here. It's not there. God is spirit. It's the first time in all of scripture that the personhood of God is called spirit. There was a spirit from God. Now he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. The way that we exalt Christ is by the Spirit. We don't exalt Christ apart from the Spirit of God. We don't exalt Christ in spite of the Spirit of God. We don't exalt Christ above the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the one who enables us to exalt Christ. He's the one who enables our worship. Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then you know what he does? He quotes Psalm 95. 1015, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, and then he quotes Jeremiah 31. He takes the scripture. He says, the Holy Spirit is talking to you through these scriptures. And what do those scriptures proclaim? What Christ is doing. They proclaim what Jesus does. They lift him on high. And they say, don't, don't harden your hearts. Submit to him. By this, John, 1 John 4. By this you will know the Spirit of God. That's, by this you will know. By this you know that you may know. Those all come, th- those are common in John. He's really big on you knowing. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You want to know whether it's the Holy Spirit or not the Holy Spirit? What does he say about Christ? If that Spirit is not testifying to Christ, not exalting Christ, not lifting up Christ, it ain't God's Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will always, will always, will always exalt Jesus Christ. He's not going to exalt himself. He's not going to exalt somebody else. He has one job, and he does it well, and that's to magnify the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12. We read a bit of this chapter. Look in verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now you got people who can utter the phrase, but to really say it, to really proclaim it, to, to, to actually mean that He is Master, that only comes by the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a... I just came across this. Or I just thought of this. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Jesus. Jesus is asking them, who who do people say that I am? And they say all kinds of different answers. And then they say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, because he's the loud mouth, he speaks up. You're Christ. You're the Lord. Jesus says something interesting to him. He says, blessed are you, Simon. Because flesh and blood cannot reveal this to you, 
Who revealed it to him? The Spirit. You see, God's Spirit is enamored with exalting Christ. First John 5, This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. You, Some of y'all were here. Some of y'all weren't here. It's okay. It's been a while. So you can act like you don't remember. I won't, I won't hurt you for it, but, um, or you can act like you weren't here. I would remember, but I just was, I must not have been here that day. Um, I preached this passage. I was preaching through first John and I preached this passage and I set up a chair on that side of the stage and I interviewed, interviewed the spirit and the water and the blood and they all agreed. Christ is Lord. Every single one of them exalted Christ. See, because that's, He's Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit producing faith. We have the Holy Spirit empowering believers. We have the Holy Spirit exalting Christ. So what should our response be? How should we respond to the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to keep this really, really short. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Do not quench the Spirit. Don't stop Him. Don't prevent Him from doing His work. Don't get in His way. Talk about God being like a fire. Don't don't throw water on the fire. Instead, look at the last part of that verse. But be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. He's talking about some other things. Don't do those kinds of things that you shouldn't be doing. Instead of doing those things, don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't quench Him. Don't stop Him. Be filled with Him. Let Him do His work in you. That's our response. That's our role. God's going to do the work. He's going to do the sanctifying. He's going to do the empowering. He's going to give the gifts. He's going to enable us to proclaim his word with boldness. He's going to do the work in us, bring us further along in our journey until we reach full maturity in Christ at the gates of glory. He's going to do all the work in the process. All we have to do is say, yes, Lord, and follow. Don't quench, but be filled. That's our part. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we will not quench the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be filled with your Spirit. God, help us as we go this week to see your power, to bring you glory, to be obedient to your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.